Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman. I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. Uh, so today we're going to be covering a, a little bit of a painful topic. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, we've, we've gotten into the habit of doing our uh, predictions at the end of each set review and then checking those predictions later. This is uh, more of a, a long-term version of that, and it, it covers some of the the reviews we'd done prior to, to starting our practice of checking our predictions. So basically in this episode, we're going to be going over uh, some set reviews we've done in the past and pulling out predictions or, or like evaluations of cards that tended to be very uh, out of touch with <laughs> what how, happened. <laughs> yeah, with how much uh, the card ended up being adopted according to EDH rec. Yeah, we're, we're going to go through this. There's, it's mostly cards that we were low on that ended up uh, seeing, a lot of, seeing a lot of play. There's a couple that like we, we were pretty high on that the community at large didn't really uh, pick up on much. And then at the very end, uh, we're going to touch on a few cards that I think we're, we're still right about, that I, <laughs> I, I think... Uh, everyone else is crazy and they should be running these cards but we'll mm. we'll get into that at the end before we jump into all these cards we were wrong about uh, i want to briefly talk about our patreon if you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as one dollar a month if you aren't ready to be a patron yet you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts all right uh let's i guess let's let's start at the top Jace, a wielder of mysteries, is one blue, blue, blue for a four loyalty legendary planeswalker. Jace, uh, if you would draw a card while your library has no cards in it, you win the game instead. Plus one, target player puts the top two cards of their library into their graveyard. Draw a card. And minus eight, draw seven cards. Then if your library has no cards in it, you win the game. I'm going to quote, uh, I'm going to quote us and then we'll, we'll see exactly how many yeah. decks this is currently seeing play in so from our war of the spark set review i said this is solely for self mill decks it's less vulnerable to removal than lab maniac but you can't get it back with dread return or something similar if you mill yourself out either way both jace and lab man are worse than nexus of fate uh, and this is currently in 27,000 decks on edh rec <laughs> yep uh i'll start by saying that at the time I was super, super high on Nexus of Fate just because I, I didn't like the idea of having to tutor out your win condition, your your lab man, or what have you prior to milling yourself out. Uh, I, I really liked that Nexus of Fate, like you could just, you know, do your Basalt Monolith, Mesmeric Orb combo, or however you were getting your library into your graveyard. And then Nexus of Fate didn't have to be in your hand already. It would just set itself up in your library and be your win condition. But I, there's a lot of things I didn't see coming. I didn't think that Demonic Consultation uh, would be like the primo way to mill yourself out. And so like, because Nexus of Fate doesn't really care about exiling. And of course, like, um, you know, Nexus of Fate costing seven mana as opposed to like, you know, three mana or four mana win conditions is a big deal. But why do you think specifically we were so wrong about Jace Wielder of Mysteries? Where is it seeing the most play? What do you, what do you think about this card? Yeah. So I think one, Oh wait, did I, okay, no, I'm not muted. <laughs> um, 
I think one of the things about it is just how like attractive that trigger looks. Anytime there's a card that says win the game, there are people that try to play it. And sometimes it's just not super fun or it's too easy. Think like a, a what is it, Faded Encounter or what, what's the coin flip one? Oh, Chance Encounter? Chance Encounter. Yeah, like Chance Encounter is really easy to get off. So like it's kind of like a novelty with these like mill yourself I win cards, whether that's like this or Thassa's Oracle or Lab Maniac. It's just kind of like easy enough to do that in blue that you can kind of just throw them in and having multiple so that you can like draw one and then not really worry if your lab man gets bolted because you have another way of winning the game is mm-hmm. is like I think comforting to people and and the decks that play it are kind of two kinds. There's basically decks that are very controlly or you just draw way too many cards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm talking like Jenga Taxius. I'm talking like Elegeth plus someone. Uh, Elegeth Crossroads Augur is the uh, partner commander, the blue sphinx that instead of scrying X, you just draw that many whenever mm-hmm. you scry. Um, as someone who's played that list, you it's so many <laughs> cards. You draw so many cards, but it's always getting played in like controlly lists like Gadwick the Wizened, which, which does draw cards. Jace Vern's Prodigy, the baby Jace that taps and flips. And then the one that surprised me, but it's kind of more of a numbers game, is Hisoka Minimo Sensei is the top adoption of Jace, Jace Wielder of Mysteries. Uh, and this is mostly, like I said, numbers. There's only 30 decks on EDH Rec that use Hisoka Minimo Sensei. Mm-hmm. And uh, just as a refresher, Hisoka is a 1-3 human wizard for 4 mana, 2 and 2 blue, and has 2 blue discard a card counter target spell if it has the same cmc as the discarded card so basically as long as you can pitch something that's the same cmc you uh counter it so it's just like a bunch of counters in hand so kind of fits into that strategy mono blue control draw a bunch of cards pitch them you'll win eventually because jace is there somewhere so that's kind of what it looks like everyone is doing it with it's like an azami arcanus yeah and and it is worth noting that Unlike Labman, Jace does get you sort of ongoing value. You can kind of just put it out there, draw an extra card each turn, um, and you don't really have to have the um, self-mill win condition yeah. for it to get value for you. And I think that makes it a lot more attractive than Labman, which is just like, you know, a uh, a gray ogre like yeah. <laughs> most of the time. Yeah, exactly. There's one thing about Nexus of Fate because like I'm still high on Nexus of Fate to if i'm comboing or self-milling because it gives me agency but it also requires a little bit more this is if there's anything that i've learned like doing the show with you it's it's how most magic players want uh, the line that they can see the line Mm -hmm. that's a little bit easier there are some people who are going to gravitate towards the more complex win the more uh, interesting when uh looking at layering triggers and things like that but most people if they just see like do this and you win yeah do do a get b they do a to get b there's uh it's guaranteed on the card he says you win the game right on the card where nexus of fate is like oh yeah with my board state and no cards in my library i will draw nexus of fate every turn and then with that i can do something that i have assembled it's 
there's a lot more steps in the middle there. And I think that that appeals to like me and Nick that appeals to some subset of players listening right now, but it does not appeal as much to uh, the general player base, which is Mm -hmm. something I've, I've uh, learned. (laughs) Yeah. And I'll say one more thing, which is that um, it, it, there's a tiny bit of, uh, well, I think there's a couple other things going on. Um, yeah. For one, Jace Wielder of Mysteries has uh, always been much, much cheaper than Nexus of Fate. Nexus of Fate has never been less than like $10, whereas Jace Wielder of Mysteries has, you know, been at some points less than $2 and, you know, is, is now just like a comfortable $5. Uh, and then also, you know, there's some playgroups that just completely frown upon extra turn effects Mm -hmm. even if in this case it's like well it's not like an indeterminate number of turns it's like i'm going to take infinite turns but still that that could prevent nexus of fate's adoption relative to jace wielder mysteries which just looks like a dorky planeswalker that draws a card every turn this jace our our next card is also blue and also a planeswalker hold on i uh, let me let me say this to lead into the next card because i I think there's a similarity between these two um (laughs) Which is like cards that get val get like a little bit of value and then also have the potential to win the game shouldn't be underestimated. Um, oh yeah, I, I think that's a big part of what makes Jace Wheeler Mystery so popular. And then go ahead and read the next card. Yes, so this uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it has a very high salt score on uh, EDA Trick, and I've just checked and it does. So you might know it. It's Narset Parter of Veils. So this is a five loyalty planeswalker for three mana, one blue blue. You probably know what she does, but um, each opponent can't draw more than one card each turn. And then a minus two, look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal a non-creature non-land, put it into your hand, uh, put the rest on the bottom of your library in a more random order. So it kind of draws you some cards, gives you a little bit of a selection in the process, and hoses when your opponents are just trying to do something unfair, right? <laughs> that's that's what this card is for. <laughs> right. Uh, so let, let me let me quote us on this. I could see running this in a deck with a lot of wheel effects, uh, Nekusar and the Locust God being the obvious ones, to act as a Leovold, making your opponents discard their hands and only drawing one card to replace it. So uh, that's certainly true. It, yeah. It, <laughs> Like looking at where it sees a lot of adoption, the Locust God is on the list. Uh, funnily enough, I don't see Nekusar. I know, yeah, Nekusar. It, it honestly has fallen off of favor. I think in in regards to like numbers on EDH Trek. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it's just Nekusar players don't update their decks. Maybe. Um, but yeah, it's it. Nekusar is not here, but a lot of other. <laughs> commanders are here so i I think a couple things are going on um one is just like wheel that like more winner wheel commanders got printed um like brallin and shabraz are are two of the c20 um face commanders and they both like they tend to build into a wheel deck they have huge representation on edh rec um Although, of course, nowhere near enough to account for all the numbers of Narset being played. But I think just like the wheel archetype has gotten more popular. Um, 
like we also saw Riel the Everwise printed uh, in Ikoria. That's another card that tends to build into Wheel Commander. is also very popular on EDH Rec. So that archetype, I think, became more popular in general. And then also, I think there's a bit of the same thing we had going on with Jace Wielder of Mysteries, which is if a card like gets a little bit of value, I mean, this this is going to draw you two good cards over the course of two turns. It has like a little bit of like hosing the the unfair stuff your opponents do, are doing, but it also just has that potential to win the game kind of out of nowhere. So I think those for me are what's combining to make this so popular. It also is worth noting that it's an uncommon. It's currently worth like less than a dollar fifty. Um, yeah. but, it's still easy to get. Yeah, but what other factors do you think are, are contributing to? Uh, why this card is so popular and and what do you think we missed at the time i think the first point you hit on can't be like like overstated just they keep printing like quote wheel commanders so i think that definitely like contributed to this and then i think that it's like a, a two other little things like it's a character that people really like like narset is a character who's like uh, canonically autistic, who a lot of people have uh, cared about. She also just kicks butt. She's just like a cool monk who like is really good at magic and like fights dragons and stuff. Like that's pretty rad. So I think like as a character and in all of the Planeswalker decks, because another thing that's happened is like they've really tried to flush out what Super Friends looks like in different color identities. So not only have there been multiple wheel decks over time that they've been cranking out since uh, War, which was, what, like three years ago? Mm -hmm. Um, They've also just, like, keep printing commanders for different color identities that support uh, Planeswalkers. So I think that's part of it, too. She, Like you said, she gets you two cards over the course of two turns, and they're good cards. If you're playing Super Friends, they're more friends to play with. And then you can just win because some of those cards might just be pitch and draw a bunch of card spell. (laughs) So I think that's part of it, too. It's not just wheels. It's also super friends. And yeah, like you you said, I I, I really do think the price is a big one, too. So I'm not going to get too much into that. But um, looking at the list of cards that we're going to talk about today, a lot of them are... um, affordable there's there's some notable exceptions that <laughs> we'll mention when <laughs> when we get to them but um for the most part like the cards that we're wrong about that are getting like really high adoption rates are uh not crazy expensive and i think that narset being an uncommon uh and being so powerful is something that people really like the next card actually has a thematic connection to the previous one mm-hmm. uh this is narset's reversal uh, it's blue blue for an instant Copy target instant or sorcery spell, then return it to its owner's hand. You may choose new targets for the copy. And so, well, I'll, I'll read what we said about it at the time. Um, I dislike that this card is so reactive, as it's so much better against your opponent's cards than it is while copying your time warp or whatever. And for reference, it's currently in over 36,000 decks on EDH rec. <laughs> so uh, for me, I think I was like looking at this card as more of a a twin cast or reverberate and was like oh this is really disappointing as a twin cast or reverberate as opposed to this is just like a really sick take on remand 
um, which I think is how most people are using it. Yeah. Also, the thing that there's no possible way that we could have seen coming uh, was twofold. Um, one of them is Calamax. We mm-hmm. just had no idea that Calamax was coming. And Calamax the Storm Sire is the dinosaur from C20. It's Timur, one green, blue, red for a 4-4 elemental dinosaur. When you cast your first instant spell each turn, if Calamax is tapped, copy that spell. You can choose new targets for the copy. And whenever you copy an instant spell, put a plus one, plus one counter on Calamax. So Narset's reversal works really, really well there. Like Calamax saw a ton of adoption, 2,900 decks, or there are 2,900 Calamax decks on EDH rec. And Narset's reversal has a lot of synergy with him because when he's tapped and you cast your first instant spell each turn, you get to copy it. So with Narciss Reversal, uh, you get to, like, if an opponent casts an instant or sorcery spell, you can Narciss Reversal it, bounce it to, your, to their hand, get a copy of it, and then Calamax will copy your Narciss Reversal, which you can then use to bounce your original Narciss Reversal to your hand. So whenever an opponent casts an instant or sorcery spell, you get it, they don't, uh, and then all it cost you was two blue mana. Notably, you can only do that once per turn, but it's still like a really powerful, annoying thing to do. Uh, and so it's it's seeing a ton of play in Calamax lists. And then, of course, it works really, really well with Magecraft. Uh, so like Veyran Voice of Duality is one of the one of the commanders from the C21 precons. Um, that's a Magecraft commander, and it's also saw a huge adoption, almost 1700 decks on EDH rec. And uh, Narciss Reversal sees a lot of play in there as well. So uh, it's a little bit like, oh, that we were kind of looking at it from the wrong perspective. But it's also like, you know, just these extremely popular commanders got printed in the last couple of years that really uh, just kind of synergized a lot with Narciss Reversal. Yeah, and that's, uh, I feel like this one we don't need to take that much heat for. There's going to be cards in this list that we can talk about that. We're like, uh oh. Oh yeah, we really got to do some mea culpas later, but uh, yeah, but we'll this get to one that I feel, yeah, this one I feel like we we can be forgiven for for not seeing the printing of some powerful commanders coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, the next card on our list is Priest of Forgotten Gods. It's one in the black for a one-two creature human cleric. It has tap, sacrifice two other creatures. Any number of target players each lose two life and sacrifice a creature. You add black, black, and draw a card. So I'll read what we said about it at the time. Sacrificing two creatures is a pretty steep cost, but there are a few commanders that are so dependent on sack outlets that they'll be willing to play it. Uh, Savra, Queen of the Golgari, seems like the best pet, and Mazarek is also a possibility. I'd be wary of using it in other sack-oriented decks, however. And this is currently seeing play in 13,000 decks on EDH rec. Uh, so where is it seeing the most play? Why do you think our prediction was off? Uh, what do you think about Priest of Forgotten Gods? I think that the trigger is stronger than we gave it credit for after like playing with and against it. Um, so that's the first thing. Just It actually is kind of worth it to make someone sack their commander. There's always like the player that just like has their commander sitting around. like it. So just the straight up gameplay with this card was a lot better than... Uh, I think we'd given it credit for, but there's also a few cards that work pretty well with it. We had mentioned Savra, which this is definitely coming up in, but they also printed Aura Skyclave Hierophant, 
um, which is a cleric commander that synergizes with clerics and specifically clerics dying. Mm-hmm. Um, so Aura is a 3-3 lifelink core cleric for 4 mana, 2 white black. Whenever Aura or another cleric you control dies, return target cleric with lesser mana value from your graveyard to the battlefield. So if you sack two clerics, everyone sacks a bunch of stuff, you get two mana, you also get back a cleric so you can keep a chain going. That's pretty good. And just being able to do that every turn and, and not to downplay the fact that Priest of Forgotten Gods is a two mana cleric. So one of your bigger clerics dies, you get it back from the graveyard. You can start making everyone sack creatures again. It's just pretty strong. I also want to mention two commanders from Eldrain that ended up being incredibly popular, which have some yeah. synergy with this. So one is Ayara, first of Lockthwain. She is the black, black, black for a 2-3 elf noble. And then when she or another black creature enters the battlefield under control, you can drain each opponent for one. And it has tap, sacrifice another black creature, draw a card. So there's 1,100 Ayara decks on EDH rec, and a sizable minority of them, um, 37%, are running Priest of Forgotten Gods, because obviously Ayara is going to want to run Sack Fodder. Uh, it's gonna, she's going to want to run small black creatures. In, in both, ca- both of those things kind of synergize with Priest of Forgotten Gods. And then the, the big one is Corvold Fey Cursed King, uh, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. It's one of the I think it's one of the top 20 commanders on EDH rec and of his like 5,800 decks on EDH rec, uh, almost 2000 of them run uh, priest of forgotten God. So these, these new commanders got printed recently that had a lot of synergy with it. And that's kind of what it looks like. That's kind of what pushed it over the edge and like into staple territory. No, definitely. Who could have seen Corvold coming? <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh man, that, uh, that whole brawl commanders set yeah. was a, a lot. So, um, a lot of power, yeah. I, I think there is something to be said about we missed on the power level of the card, but also like, ooh, wow, those those commanders. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. All right, moving on to the next card. This is Scheming Symmetry. It's a single black mana for a sorcery. Choose two target players. Each of them searches their library for a card, then shuffles their library and puts that card on top of it. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll read what we said about it. Um, sorcery speed all but guarantees your opponent is going to draw the card they tutored for before you get the thing you wanted, which is a nightmare scenario. Fortunately, listener Stormcrow Legend pointed out that this card is awesome in Circu Citadel combo, since top of library tutors are actually better than tutors that put cards into your hand if you're in the middle of comboing off with Bolas's Citadel. Plus, you can use Circu to mill your opponent's top card once they stack it with seeming symmetry. Uh, I wouldn't run it anywhere else, though. Yeah. So, uh, Scheming Symmetry is an interesting card. It's seeing, actually, a lot of play in uh, what appears to be CEDH lists. Mm-hmm. If you, of course, like have some way to immediately draw a card after using it, then you can kind of get some more value out of it. It also is is seeing play in cards that can kind of really care about the top of their library. So like Yuriko, the Tiger Shadow, you can put some sort of eight or nine drop on top of your deck. Yuriko immediately gets it. Um, also like Yenit, Cryptic Sovereign, you know, you can put some high cost odd spell on top of your library and then cast it off Yenit. And then if there's a commander that like has a little bit of mill component like Circu or Anawan the Ruin Thief, 
that's something that was pre- printed recently that synergizes with it. So th- those are some of the the ways that people are using for it that we didn't really give it credit for at the time. Mm-hmm. And and kind of to further your point, like drawing it immediately, it's it's in a lot of Queen Marchesa lists. So Queen Marchesa enters, you become the monarch, you tutor, you just draw what you tutored immediately. Maybe that was an instant, so you have protection or something like that. A lot of Angie Falconrath lists. Exactly. So which has haste and tap, discard a card, draw a card. So you get to use whatever you just looked for before anyone else does. And that uh, can usually lead to combos. And Angie is a pretty popular CDH commander too, so... Not really surprised to see like a card that's good in CDH also be good in a good CDH commander list. Yeah, I, I will say that uh, you know Angie Falconrath is uh, was released after Scheming Symmetry, as mm-hmm. was Anawan the Ruin Thief, and both of those are and and also as was Crick, son of Yogmoth, and uh, all of these are very popular commanders. So I think uh. I'd say like a, a fairly big chunk of this use is just like we couldn't have foreseen it because they were upcoming commanders. Yeah. And then uh, to a lesser degree, there are, are people trying to be clever with it. There, There's some commanders that this card shows up in high percentages, even though the decks are really low. And this is like commanders that want to be political. So this is like your Brina's and Shadrick Silver Quills. Um, so if if you're also trying to be kind of cutesy tricksy those those commanders also have this card show up too so maybe a miss on use not power level um kind of in the same way that like uh jace and narset's reviews were a little bit like i think we understood that they were strong just not like just how useful they could be Mm -hmm. this next one too (laughs) the next card is a black card that um I think surprised both of us with its uh, with, with its ubiquity, I guess. Yeah, uh, so this is Village Rights. It's single black mana for an instant as additional cost to cast this spell, sacrifice a creature, draw two cards. So at the time we said, this is the most efficient version of this effect we've ever seen, but it's still a weak card, uh, maybe, maybe in Savra, Queen of the Golgari. And it's currently in 15,000... Coming up on 16,000 decks on EDH rec. So uh, perhaps a bit off with this one. Yeah. Um, So what are some of the commanders that it's seeing the most play in? So, yeah, I think... Well, so the top commanders right now um, are commanders that want to sacrifice things, which is pretty unsurprising. We live in a world where people have been debating the goodness of things like um, Phyrexian Arena in comparison to like uh, Sign in Blood or something like that because Mm -hmm. the format has been speeding up. So decks that want to sacrifice things but also kind of want that card advantage or maybe they produce things are pretty good. So a commander that really wants to sacrifice things, Navinreal or Borg Tyrant, this is the Commander Legends guy. Uh, He's six mana for a three six, three white, blue, black. Hexproof from artifact creatures and enchantments. When Navinreal or Borg Tyrant enters the battlefield, create a tapped 2-2 black zombie creature token for each creature that died this turn. And when Larry dies, you may pay one generic if you do destroy all artifacts, creatures, and enchantments. So obviously, like having an instant speedway to 
do that to to pop Larry himself is pretty good. Uh, it seems like people picked it up a lot there. Uh, Aura Skyclave Hierophant again, uh, second time he's coming up. Uh, you want to sack your cleric? So here you go. Draw some cards doing it. Get another cleric back, and then in, index that like make stuff or get things back. So recently, and, and uh, this isn't the only time I'm going to say that. This with this card is that uh, we got Belladress Witherbloom, which gives you a one-one pest on each upkeep. Uh, so it's basically just free sack fodder, and then Extus Auric Overlord, which is one of the flip commanders. It's the the mythic Mardu card. The backside is Awaken the Blood Avatar, but Extus on the front side is a two-four double strike for four mana, one white, black, black, and has a Magecraft trigger. Uh, whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell return target non-legendary creature card from your graveyard to your hand. So you can kind of run through loops with Extus and uh, some spells to Disentomb. Is mm-hmm. that the one? You can Disentomb your creatures as you cast value spells, uh, get back your value spells with some creatures. It ends up being very strong. There's not a lot you can't do with Extus. Yeah, Extus uh, in this case is like not only can you um, get back something else when you cast the village rights, but you can also get back the thing you sacrificed to village rights just because of the way things go on the stack. Um, like, like because it's an additional cost, the thing is already in your graveyard by the time uh, Extus triggers and you get to bring something back. So it's sort of a way to like bounce one of your creatures to your hand while also drawing cards. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty sweet. Uh, so uh, looking at like where it's seeing a lot of play, it it seems like a lot of cards that didn't uh, didn't exist didn't exist when we saw this in uh, Commander twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Um. So not not too sad about this one, but definitely something that you all should be aware of as just like we we kind of rated it fairly at the time but then circumstances changed and maybe you want to give it another look Mm -hmm. yeah and this is not even mentioning all the cards that just make tokens or stuff like Thalys reverent medium i know Mm -hmm. a lot of people really love just make so many just token explosion uh why not sack them uh also from commander legends jury master the review has a trigger when jury dies it deals damage equal to its power to any target um you know why not have a one mana weighted to do that you know it's basically like i market just in your hand and different <laughs> you know <laughs> like it's kind of the same type of land sag jury um so yeah i think the other one too that was new is felisa fang of silver quill which was uh from the c21 decks uh which is sack a non-token creature uh when it dies if it had, had counters on it create x tapped two one white and black inkling creature tokens with flying for x is the number of counters it had on it so Again, another deck that just wants to sack things gets a bunch of tokens that you could also sack to it if if you sacked things earlier. Like you kind of get the idea. We're we're sacking creatures. We're making sack fodder. Looks like that's where people want it to go. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, moving on to the next card. Uh, this is one of the ones we actually overrated. Mm-hmm. So this is shenanigans. One and a red for a sorcery. Destroy our artifact. Dredge one. And uh, at the time, we said, I feel like it's probably correct to run this card. The sorcery speed prevents it from being a great answer to combos, but that never stopped Vandal Blast or Shattering Spree. I really, I especially like that you can discard it to Red's many draw smoothers, e.g. Tormenting Voice, Cathartic Reunion, Faithless Looting. 
uh, when it's not good and then get it back once it's relevant again. Uh, I also love the idea of running this in lists with a self-mill component. So I think we were pretty high on it at the time, mm-hmm. but it's currently only seeing play in 3,300 decks on EDH rec. So you know, far below the threshold we typically use when uh, evaluating whether something's a format staple. Mm-hmm. And and this isn't to say that we're completely wrong when you look at the commanders that are running it. It's like Chainer, a Nightmare Adept, which has discard a card. You may cast a creature spell from your graveyard this turn, activate only once each turn. So it's like, oh, okay, a red spell with Dredge. So I can pitch it, I can get it back for value later. Like, okay, we were right there. But for the most part, it's just really not being adopted in high numbers. Yeah, I th- I think that people are just used to a better rate for artifact destruction. Um, you know, really, it's it's. I mean, you can like compare it to Vandal Blaster Shattering Speed because they both destroy artifacts, but you know the the rate on this is obviously uh, n- nowhere near as good as on those cards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I th- I think people like are would maybe consider running this as like their fourth piece of of red artifact destruction or or maybe if they had a lot of those synergies but yeah i I think there's just too many better options and we were perhaps a little too optimistic about this one yeah and and again it is pretty much only decks that have like a synergy with it like a duretti scrap savant where like you can discard a card um you can discard up to two cards and draw that many cards and uh zerzoth chaos rider which is uh, whenever an opponent draws their first card each turn, if it's not their turn, you make a devil. And then whenever one or more devils attack uh, one or more players, you and those players each draw a card and discard a card at random. So it's it's really seeing play in lists, uh, much like Chainer, where y- you are kind of like, oh, well, if I pitch it, it doesn't matter because I can just get it back if I need it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Um, I'm not too much to say about it. The, the next card falls into the exact same camp. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, so this next card is Throws of Chaos. It is three and a red for a sorcery. It has Cascade and Retrace. So, ooh, all right, let me let me read this off. Um, this card can single-handedly dig red out of a mana-flooded game, and the games you don't need it, you can pitch it to one of red's many cheap rummaging spells. I'd happily run this in any mono-red or red-white list. And it's currently seeing play in less than 2,000 decks on EDH rec. So I think there's a... Actually, sorry. Uh, since I wrote these show notes, it's changed lately. It's just over 2,000 decks. Um, mm-hmm. But in either case, it's still not great. And I think a big <laughs> part of it... Like I, like, I did a lot of testing with this card after it came out. And just the potential of... like paying four mana and flipping into like a one mana spell is really really unappealing like there's just too much variance in what you can hit if it costs three mana i think it would be a lot more attractive but there's just like too many opportunities for the the delta between the mana you spend and the value of the spell you get to be uh to be quite big yeah I actually want to see where we're at a year from now because we actually got some commanders that this works pretty well with. Mm -hmm. So in particular, like Contorius Field Historian, uh, we got Rionia Fire Dancer in the Mm -hmm. C21 decks. Um, So 
Quintorius makes you a 3-2 red spirit when a card leaves your graveyard. And when you put Throws of Chaos onto the stack, it has left your graveyard momentarily. Um, Rionia Fire Dancer is a 3-4 for 5 mana, 3 red red. At the beginning of combat on your turn, create X tokens that are copies of another target creature you control, where X is 1, plus the number of instant and sorcery spells you've cast this turn. They gain haste, exile them at the beginning of the next end step. So that that seems actually pretty decent there because it's kind of at minimum two more creatures um, and or like one more creature and a creature to copy. So that seems pretty cool. Rionia isn't seeing super high adoption, which is kind of one of the the things there about it. <laughs> um, uh, I'm, I'm really interested to see like sort of if Prosper catches on as a popular commander because mm. it certainly has a lot of synergy there. Because Prosper, of course, is one of the uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realm commanders, uh, and he has the notable line of text, whenever you play a card from exile, create a treasure token. So that kind of subsidizes your use of Throws of Chaos, like in that you're really only spending three mana for the the effect, or, or like you're spending a net of three mana for the effect. So it, it kind of does become a lot more attractive, and you can still hit three CMC things off of it. Mm-hmm. So... I think that's a pretty good use. And if Prosper sees a lot of adoption, I think this card's uh, fortunes could change a bit. But at at the time it was released, I was definitely too high on it. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that like looking, f- mm, looking forward, if we see more like cards like this, I think we just got to be a bit skeptical about like, like rummaging effects that eat up too much of your mana. Cause that's mm-hmm. kind of what's going on here. Yeah, uh, and you know what? Speaking of too much mana, oh, yeah, <laughs> we uh, we have a card that, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of uh, embarrassed that I I <laughs> said the things I said about it. Um, but this is if I can get into it. Sure. Um, this is Nick's Bloom Ancient, uh, a card that we were pretty poo poo on. So, I don't know. Do you want to read what we uh, we said about it? Sure. Uh, Nick's Bloom Ancient, uh, well, our, our take on it was, it's difficult to figure out where this is good, since it's both expensive and requires a mana sink. Maybe Zakama would be interested in this card, since it runs a bunch, since it runs a bunch of ramp and can make use of all the extra mana. Uh, Kamal, Fist of Krosa, might be another good option. Haha, <laughs> it turns out having a lot of mana is just good. Yeah. Turns out. <laughs> <laughs> uh and so just just to um just to say just if you're listening and maybe you can't remember Nick's Blue Mansion's text, it is a 5/5 five, five enchantment creature elemental for 7 mana. Uh for green green green, it has trample and if you tap a permanent for mana, it produces 3 times as much of that mana instead. 3 times um yeah wow that's um it's a lot turns out sometimes if you just have a lot of mana you uh just you just win so i will say that a decent chunk of this adoption comes from uh zaxara the exemplary mm. uh which is the uh one black green blue for a two three nightmare hydra with death touch tap add two mana of any color then when you whenever you cast a spell with X in its mana cost, create a zero zero Hydra to- creature token that put X plus one plus one counters on it. So it's kind of an X spell commander. 
that was printed in the C20 decks, which came after Nyx Bloom Agent was printed. Uh, and Zaxar is incredibly popular with 2,700 decks on EDH rec and a fair, and a thousand of those are running Nyx Bloom Agent. And then Kinnan Bonder Prodigy mm-hmm. is another deck that has a lot of synergy with Nyx Bloom Agent. Um, it's blue green for a 2 2. Whenever you tap a non land permanent for mana, add one mana of that type, that, of any type that permanent produced, and then you can pay seven to flip the top five cards and put a non-human creature card from among them onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So Nyx Bloom Ancient is both something that can be flipped off of Kinnon, and then it also makes it so that you're um, able to activate Kinnon a lot more easily. Like you're, It's, it's essentially uh, cutting the, the cost in a third by down to a third. Mm-hmm. So that's really popular. 1900 decks on EDH rec, a, a big chunk of those use Nyx Bloom Ancient. So in in part, this uh this is like a card that benefited from benefited from cards that came at a later date. But it's also uh I think we were just underrating the extent to which people want to do big things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't think that Nyx Bloom Ancient, for example, is seeing a ton of play in like CEDH metas. But, you know, commit there's still like very battle cruisery portions of Commander that where like getting from seven to twenty-one actually is a big game. Uh and actually does kind of unlock what their deck can do. Yeah. Um and just being able to like cast your whole hand the turn after this guy comes around. Like if you can untap with the next Bloom Ancient, you just sometimes look at your mana and go, oh, Huh. <laughs> I guess yeah, okay. And then you you can you probably win from there. It really depends on what's going on, but um yeah, just having a lot of mana, it's pretty good. Um one thing, this is the one card that kind of goes against a lot of our predictions where this card is still very expensive. It's never really gotten cheap. Um, I think it's as cheap as it's ever been right now. Uh, at time of recording, it's about fifteen to twenty dollars, depending on uh, time of day and what seller and condition of the card and stuff like that. So it's pretty much gonna be that price forever. I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. This is. Um, I mean, right immediately after release, it hit a low of like around eleven dollars, and is kind of climbed up since then so i I don't think we're gonna see it cheap anytime soon so really uh i I wonder how much how much uh, adoption it would see if it were printed maybe at a lower rarity or or just reprinted at some point so it's a card to watch and uh a a good lesson in like sort of setting our our expectations for like big big mana effects in commander Mm -hmm. which i think Gets us, we're, we're homing in, we're zooming in. Do you actually, 53 minutes, so we could probably finish. Yeah, I, I think there's just like a handful of cards to go. Okay, yeah, I don't, I don't need to say as much about the next few. Um, So this next card, uh, how about I read it off and you read what we said about it. Sure. So this is Vivian, Champion of the Wilds. This is a legendary Planeswalker Vivian starting at four loyalty for three mana, two and a green. Uh, has the static ability, you may cast creature spells as though they had flash. 
has a plus one until your next turn up to one target creature gains vigilance and reach in minus two look at the top three cards of your library exile one face down and put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order for as long as it remains exiled you may look at that card and you may cast it if it is a creature so uh yeah what did we think about vivian so we said i like the surprise factor of the minus two it's cool that they're finding ways to improve on abilities we've seen a thousand times already Anyway, this card is not good. If you want two random cards out of your deck, you can get it at a better rate than this. And I think that part of what we... Um, oh, well. It's it's currently seeing play in 13,000 decks on EDH rec, so clearly we're, we were a little bit off there. Not long after Vivian was printed, they came out with Cadena Slinking Sorcerer, the Morph Commander from C19. Uh, and and it works really, really well in that deck because it allows you to get her bonus on every on your opponent's turns as well as your own mm-hmm. and just draw more cards and get more morph guys onto the board um, without really spending any extra mana. So that's a that's a consideration. It's like that Cadena alone contributes 1900 of these 13,000 decks. Um, but it's it seemed play in like a decent range of um, just green decks that want i mean there's not like a really strong theme that (laughs) (laughs) it's just like people are just using it in their green decks because flash is fun and it draws cards and i think like for me a little bit of what um what we maybe missed about this card is if it's kind of like the the narset well maybe not the narset effect a little bit like narset in that it draws you a couple cards, so there's like a little bit of value, and then it provides a useful effect. Um, and I think that's kind of, and of course, it's like always been pretty cheap. Like as of time of recording, it's like two dollars. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really part of it. Because like uh, another card that also gives your stuff flash is like Vidalcanori, which is a fairly expensive card. I actually don't know how expensive Vidalcanori is right now, but I'm assuming it's like forty bucks. I got yeah. At time of recording, you can the market price is like thirty three dollars to forty three dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so this offers a decent amount of what that does for one seventy. <laughs> <laughs> um, for three mana, and yeah, it's only creatures, but if a lot of green decks use a lot of creatures, so not a big surprise there. Um, and like you said, it's seeing play in just decks that use creatures or Tremie, you can mutate at instant speed. Um, uh, Surak, your creature spells can't be countered, and with Vivian out now, they're instant speed. Woo! Like mm-hmm. Gargos flashing a Hydra. Woo! Just go go nuts. Yeah, <laughs> it's green. Whoa! Yeah. So I think this more might be more like I think you're probably right about it being like the budget alternative to more popular cards. Um, and it's just something that doesn't really hurt you to have it in your deck like it you know i would be certainly a lot higher on vidalcan orrery if it like drew two cards mm-hmm. yeah so uh, i guess uh something to keep in mind is um again j- just like with narset if something draws a couple cards and then provides a generally useful effect we should just um, evaluate and especially if it's going to be cheap we should evaluate it 
as maybe a little bit higher than we'd naturally want to put it. Mm -hmm. And actually, I think there's a lot to say in the lessons learned about this next card. So uh, it's it's also green. It is Wilderness Reclamation. Uh, It is a green enchantment. Costs four mana, three and a green. At the beginning of your end step, untap all lands you control. So, yeah. Uh, I I could say this one. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. I like this in Omnath, Yeva, and Krufix, or any other green commander that can act as a mana sink. And it's certainly not like a, a negative review, but I think we just didn't really come anywhere close to to like guessing that this was going to be a format staple because it's currently in twenty three thousand decks on EDH Rec. So really, a a big chunk of the the total number of green decks. Yeah, we didn't fully see it coming so Mm -hmm. let's talk a bit about where it's seeing the most adoption um it's uh we were right in that it's seeing a lot of play in omnath and crufix um but it's also seeing a lot of play in calamax the storm sire which i suppose makes sense um Mm -hmm. cadena slinking sorcerer rashmi eternity's crafter and uh halden and paco what do you think are the the trends here what are What's like the commonality between these commanders? Like, why? Yeah. yeah. Um. So this is actually something that I've learned because I've actually been putting this card in more decks than I thought, and that's specifically decks that have instants. It's really nice to do a thing on your turn, and then you just pass. You untap all your mana, and you can like have counter magic up in regards to like Rajmi or like a response or a fork with Kalamax or. Uh, be able to cast all those cards that you just worked so hard to get with Halden and Paco. It's just really good in that regard. You just I don't have to worry about not having mana for my kill spell and doing my thing. It's it's a have your cake and eat it too card. So even though it looks kind of just like a bad seedborn muse, mm-hmm. um, it kind of is enough value that uh, it's worth it in a decent uh, amount of decks, especially decks like like Yeva, like Yerashmi, um, Kalamax, stuff like that. Yeah, I like it also in um, Kadena, Slicking Sorcerer, like because you can kind of spend your turn just committing morphs to the board and like drawing a bunch of cards, and then it untaps you so that you can then like have all your morph activations up, and that's um, that's pretty attractive as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm don't really have too much more to say about this card it definitely has overperformed for me there's definitely a reason it was banned in standard (laughs) while it was there especially with the nexus of fate running around so um yeah i i think it's think it's good i i just put it in another list very recently so yeah and and i will give us a a little bit of slack for this one because like you know calamax and cadena and halden and paco just those three commanders together contributed um uh forty five hundred <laughs> of these like twenty three thousand uh decks running wilderness reclamation and all of them were printed after it was mm-hmm. and after we did our set review. Yeah, yeah. It yeah, definitely true. It's just uh I I've been putting it in more lists than I thought too, and that's mostly because of just the way I play I like playing instance and the instants are very fun mm-hmm. for me. I I have a feather and a calamax list <laughs> so it, i i end up putting this deck into a decent amount of green decks just because of that reason too so i think uh a lot of other people are like me they did the same thing mm-hmm. 
Um, so this is our first multicolor car we're going to talk about today, and uh, I just didn't didn't expect it, but here we are. It's Kaya's Wrath, uh, and you might at home be going, "Well, of course you should have expected this, you dummy." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it is a four mana sorcery, white, white, black, black. Destroy all creatures. You gain life equal to the number of creatures you controlled that were destroyed this way. And the art is Kaya just like just wrecking these ghosts, just destroying mm-hmm. the ghost council, which is yeah. great. So I'll, I'll read off what we said at the time. There are relatively few four mana sweepers in Commander, so the arrival of a new one is notable. That said, the mana cost on this one is pretty onerous compared to Wrath of God, Damnation, Day of Judgment. If you've got a very strong mana base, then you might be able to consistently cast this card, but the low CMC is not an overwhelming advantage compared to the flexibility of Cleansing Nova or the value offered by the potentially asymmetrical 5-mana sweeper like Crux of Fate, Fell the Mighty, Hellfire, or Winds of Wrath. Uh, Not to mention the power and flexibility offered by some of the 6-mana sweepers in Commander like Austere Command or Merciless Eviction. I think this is going to introduce a bunch of new players to the power of board wipes as they see the gain life and probably aren't as turned by the, off by the card as they might be normally. Maybe I should have put this in a later section because I, f- I feel like I, I still agree with everything I said at the time. Um, but but tell me about some of the decks that are running this card. So a lot of the decks running this card are uh, I don't really they don't really have like a theme theme other than like vaguely control. So like one of the biggest decks that's running this is like Tesa Karlov. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's very much a thematic theme. Tesa is not necessarily the strongest, but a very popular commander. A 2-4 human advisor for 4 mana, 2 white black. If a creature dying causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. And creature tokens you control have vigilance and lifelink. So, like a fine commander, definitely not like a powerhouse, but one that people love a lot. Seeing play in basically 3,500 lists there. Um, recently, we got uh, Liesa's Shroud of Dusk, or Lisa Shroud of Dusk. I think it's Liesa, but what, Liesa, whatever. Liesa, yeah. I said Liesa. I don't know. It, uh, listeners at home, please let us know what you say. Uh, I'm going to keep saying Liesa because I like it better. She's a 5-5 angel. She has the, you may pay two life rather than two generic mana f- for each time you've cast this from the command zone, if it's your commander. So exchange the two generic for two life basically you always have a five five flying lifelink and whenever a player casts a spell they lose two life uh, the one that really shocked me and i think the biggest reason it's uh alila artful provocateur it is in 4600 deckless and alila is the two three flying death touch lifelink in esper one white blue black other creatures you control with flying get plus one plus oh and whenever you cast an artifact or enchantment spell create a one one blue fairy creature token with flying so you just don't really need to actually invest creatures to the board. Um, you end up with a ton of creatures. If you blow them up, you gained life and didn't really cost you that many cards. Uh, like, yeah, you have to cast Alila again, but uh, your board is still there because mm-hmm. it wasn't creatures. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I don't know. Is there is there any like through line that you're seeing other than... Like, than being black-white? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not really. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's really honestly, it's a little surprising to me that like it's seeing so much adoption in like Alila decks. Like Alila's contributing thirteen hundred of these um <laughs> ten thousand. Tesa is contributing 
over 1200 of these of these uh 10,000 so really just like handful of commanders kind of carrying a lot of weight here um i i think it is worth noting that kaya's wrath is super cheap it's less than a dollar um and of course like some of the other wraths we mentioned like say damnation uh those are not what i would call budget cards even wrath of god is you know it's five dollars for most printing so i think that that might be out of the range for budget players I think that's kind of contributing to what we're seeing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I honestly agree with that. I think that the fact that this card is merely 70 cents, 80 cents <laughs> is part of the reason for the high adoption. It gets the job done. If you're black, white, the cost is not really that steep. In some ways, I'm kind of surprised to see that it's in that much of a Layla list because white, white, black, I know black you have a third color. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, you got blue and the the lists I've played, uh, friends lists or ones that I've brewed on like Cockatrice or something with Alayla used a lot of blue, but maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just a blue player. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows? But yeah, crazy. Um, which actually <laughs> really gets us to the next card, which is um, I just don't know if I ever could have seen this coming. Oh yeah, this is uh this one got me too. Um. So this next card is Rhythm of the Wild. It's one red-green for an enchantment. Creature spells you control can't be countered. Non-token creatures you control have Riot. So they enter the battlefield with your choice of a plus-a-plus-one counter or haste. Well, I'll read what we said. Um, I've come to the conclusion that Fervor effects are not worth a card. The potential to get a plus-a-plus-one counter instead makes this card a little more interesting. But I don't think there are any GR commanders for whom this benefit really matters. And then... We also had on there, I think this is your note. Um, yeah. I think this card is more about combo potential than a haste grainer slash power and toughness boost. Uh, creatures who don't normally enter with a counter can lead, can lead to weird synergies. And I think those decks are going to be the main place for these cards. It doesn't work how you want with Devoted Druid, so you got to work a little too hard. It, it's currently seeing play in 31,000 decks on EDH rec. So very solidly a green-red format staple. And... I think it's got a little bit of the heraldic banner effect going on, which is like if you add enough small effects together, then then it like starts to become pretty substantial. Like it starts to become a real card. Like heraldic banner, you know, I don't love one power anthems and I don't love three mana mana rocks, but together it's like, mm, okay, this is kind of worth it. And I think that might be going on what's going on here like people really don't like having their spells countered uh haste is a useful effect and like as you were, were kind of alluding to in your comment at the time uh this does have combo potential it combos with like the decks that are trying to sacrifice persist creatures over and over so looking at where this is seeing the most adoption um it's seen play in a ton of gishath decks um which makes sense ish um like Gishath, of course, costs eight mana. He digs you deeper into your library based on his power or the damage that he's dealing. So preventing your opponent from spending a two mana counter to answer your eight mana commander, that seems pretty appealing. And then also having him, even though he already has haste, having him come in with an extra plus one, plus plus one counter can mean an additional dinosaur that you're dropping onto the battlefield. So it really makes a difference there. And of the the almost three thousand Gishath decks, nineteen hundred of them are running Rhythm of the Wild. So that's a 
pretty significant contribution. Um, what are mm-hmm. some of the other commanders that you see are really are using this card a lot? Yeah, speaking of big creatures you don't want to get countered, Xenagos God of Revels, uh, which is from the original Theros block. It's a 6-5 god, indestructible for 5 mana, 3 red-green, but has the triggered ability at the beginning of combat on your turn. Another target creature you control gains haste and gets plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the creature's power. So you know what really, really sucks when uh, when you're playing Xenagos, when the big creature you want to get haste and huge gets countered <laughs> so definitely like protection there there are 1400 decks a little over that on EDH track for xenagos god of revels and about a thousand of them are playing xenagos it's like 900 something lists uh so that that's also a pretty sizable chunk right there of lists and it just kind of seems to be played in decent red green list Nayeth of the dire hunt only has around 700 decks but 75 percent of all of them like 560 lists are playing rhythm of the wild again it makes sense like if your card advantage comes purely from your creatures you really don't want your creatures to get countered um and just really not where i thought the card would sit you know <laughs> mm-hmm. i was like a, a lot of the cards that prevent your stuff from getting countered are not super good or like see very high adoption so i just expected this not to but i guess it's kind of like the other parts adding to the your stuff can't get countered and the fact that this is an enchantment instead of a creature because a lot of times the things that prevent your creatures from getting countered are creatures themselves like prowling serpent part and is it guy's avenger guy i think it's guy's herald guy's herald there's yeah. also allosaurus shepherd yeah i, I think potentially another uh thing like leading to this card being heavily adopted is that it is well at the time it was incredibly cheap but so it's become so popular that it's actually starting to creep up a bit mm-hmm. um it's currently about four dollars but it was printed as an uncommon and like a, a major release so it was really easy to get a hold of and um a really good budget option that kind of does a lot of things at once mm-hmm. and then i think people played with it and they just now they can't stop you know that's yeah they're, they're like oh this is this performed better than i thought and now now we're where we're at so yeah i i think i just really undervalued counter prevention and really overvalued the counter but i think that just goes to show the type of player <laughs> that <laughs> i am so uh whoops all right we've got a couple more cards to talk about and then we'll be done for this episode yeah uh, this next one is Simic Ascendancy. It's green-blue for an enchantment. You can pay one green-blue to put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. Whenever one or more plus one plus one counters are put on a creature you control, put that many growth counters on Simic Ascendancy. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if Simic Ascendancy has 20 or more growth counters on it, you win the game. So this is currently seeing play in 10,000 decks on EDH rec, and at the time we said... There are so many restrictions on how this card works that you're cut off from all the obvious shortcuts. Um, you can't front load the counters and drop Simic Ascendancy for the win because it has to see you adding all the counters. Um, the rate for the activated ability is pretty inefficient. Don't play this card. I was pretty low on it at the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's, you know, there there have been a lot of good commanders that can add a ton of counters at once. Um, so notably, like 
you know, Peer and Toothy. Toothy gets a counter every time you draw a card, and that's really easy to do in a green-blue color identity. So it's not super hard to um, to pump that up and, and get a bunch of things. Uh, also worth noting, Zaxara, the exemplary, that commander we mentioned earlier, the the Sultai Hydra commander, makes these 0-0 green Hydras and puts X plus plus one counters on them. So if you're doing that a lot, if you're playing a lot of X spells in that deck, then that'll add a lot of counters to your Simic Ascendancy pretty quickly. But what, what do you think about this card, and, and why do you think it's seen so much adoption, and what do we not really consider at the time? Yeah, I think it just actually is easier to do than I gave it credit for initially. Um, so some of it is like there are some cards printed after that uh, are really good with it. So like you said, Zexara is one of them. But some of it is also just like it it just sits there. It's like doesn't take that much and it just wins you the game. Um, so if you like you play a card it has four plus one plus one counters you're playing voral the whole clade so okay you can put four counters on it and then you double the counters on it with voral the whole clade now it's got eight counters and now you're like most you're you're like almost halfway there <laughs> and you might have only spent like a few mana to do it and like you said with peer and toothy uh toothy draws a card if peers out you're getting two counters on it if you're drawing three four cards that's six to eight counters it it happens really fast really easily i actually i made a goofy list during the commander legends preview season for um for the slurk the green partner commander that basically was just trying to like get simic ascendancy to go off because uh slurk enters with five like plus one plus one counters which is like a quarter of the way there so if you can just like flicker things or sack things that enter with just a bunch of counters that you can in one turn just get 20 counters on it really quickly and all you had to do was like Vesper Lark. <laughs> <laughs> like you didn't really have to do that much work to to get it there. So I think that's really where it comes from is like it, it says win the game on it so people are going to be interested and it's actually a lot easier than I thought to to make that happen. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we can move on to the next card, if that works for you. Yeah. All right. Uh, the next one is Teferi Time Raveler. One blue-white for a four loyalty legendary planeswalker Teferi. Each opponent can cast spells only any time they can cast a sorcery. Plus one, until your next turn, you may cast sorcery spells as though they had flash. Minus three, return up to one target artifact, creature, or enchantment to its owner's hand. Draw a card. So I'm sure anyone who's been playing standard over the past couple years is familiar with Teferi. Uh, some other formats as well. But at the time, we were... I'm pretty sure I wrote this <laughs> this comment, so I was pretty dismissive of it. Um, I, I my, my comment was just like, maybe Days Undoing combo? Uh, mm-hmm. Don't play this card. Yeah. <laughs> so, And then currently it sees play in 12,000 decks on EDH Rec. So you tell me, like, what are the decks it's seen the most play in? Why do you think it's seen as much play as it is? And what do we miss? So the decks it's seeing a lot of play in are, um, I mean, the, the biggest one, I think one of the biggest ones is simply just attracts the Praetor's voice. It's just put in Super Friends list. It has a it has a useful ability, gives things flash. It stops your opponents from being able to interact with you. Uh, it gets very hard to kill with the Traxa out because not only is the Traxa probably big, 
like he gets really big. So Super Friends, I think that's one of the reasons any like halfway decent cheap Planeswalker ends up seeing play in the most Super Friends lists. But on top of that, it's seeing play in like a lot of like Aminato lists. First off, uh, Aminato is also a Planeswalker uh, and can be your commander. So uh, I'll just go through, I guess, and read Aminato real quick. It's a three loyalty commander for white, blue, black, just three mana. Has plus one, draw a card, then put a card from your hand on top of your library. Minus one, exile another target permanent you own, then return it to the battlefield under your control. So flick or something. And minus six, choose left or right. Each player gains control of all non-land permanents other than Aminato the Fate Shifter, uh, controlled by the next player in the chosen direction. Uh, so kind of like flip everyone's boards. Most of the time when people are playing this commander, they are not doing that mm-hmm. <laughs> they're playing it for that minus one which is very good with teferi teferi goes hey i'm here now you can't play instance i'm gonna do what i want also i'm gonna bounce that thing and draw a card uh also i'm gonna get flickered and come back and i can bounce that thing and draw a card and then next turn if they couldn't kill teferi or minato you just you do it all over again yeah <laughs> like so and the things this is something i just recently learned i didn't even realize this thing could bounce enchantments until recently like mm-hmm. the the range of permanence this answers is much much higher than i thought it was so it's return target artifact creature or enchantment to its owner's hand that's like a lot for three mana that also stops your opponents from interacting with you yeah it's a uh, another kind of similar commander to amina too that, that's also running this is like brago king eternal much for, for much the same reason you can bounce something uh attack with brago flicker your teferi and then bounce something else mm-hmm. um it's seen a decent amount of play in Lavinia decks, which tend to be kind of hate berry lists. So this is kind of just another card that like jams up your opponents, replaces itself with a card, um, forces them to answer it. And uh, I can see how it would be like generally good in like a white blue control list as just mm-hmm. a way to cast your wraths on your opponent's turn so that like you can kind of get the most value from it. But it it is worth noting that like I think that what you said earlier about super friends lists. Uh, is probably a big part of this adoption. Like, yeah, uh, almost twelve hundred attracts a super friends list are running this. Over eleven hundred Sisse presumably super friends decks are running this. You know, four hundred Narset super friends lists are running this. Just those three commanders alone are contributing a pretty big portion of the twelve thousand decks running to Fairy. Mm-hmm. So something to keep in mind. I think we just maybe underrated this for super friends. Underrated the disruptive potential that it had and i think that that's i mean do you think it like kind of falls into the same category as um as like vivian champion of the wilds maybe Mm -hmm. i would say so i think like in some ways it's like the anti-vivian like you can't cast spells on my turn (laughs) Uh, but i think it's very similar it's like three mana it comes down early protects you draws you a card and then gives you like added value over the course of the game with Mm -hmm. the kind of protection from no splashy spells so yeah yeah, we got some lands and then the cards we we think you should still play i don't know if you still want to talk about those uh we'll see i know we're coming up on 90 minutes here um so let's get these lands out of the way Mm -hmm. all right so the first one we're going to be talking about is emergence zone it's a land that taps for colorless and it has one tap sacrifice emergent zone you may cast spells this turn as though they had flash. Uh, at the time, I said, 
even with the restriction to creatures, Winding Canyons is much better than this and doesn't see a whole lot of play. So I'm skeptical that this will accomplish much. Losing a land is a huge downside, and it's currently seeing play in 22,000 decks on EDH rec. So where is it seeing the most play, and why do you think our evaluation of this card was off? So, okay, one of the biggest decks that is playing this... So, okay, there's two categories of decks that are playing this. One is colorless. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Turns out this is one of the better colorless lands you can play uh, on a budget. Um, I would argue that there's a lot of very good colorless lands that are better than this one, but for the low, low price of 40 cents, it's hard to beat something that gives your spells flash. So that means that Kozilek the Great Distortion, it's in half of those decks. Basically, well, it's in a third of those decks, six, like about 700 of them. Uh, Emrakul the Promised End, it's in uh, about half of those. Karn Silver Golem, Traxos Scourge of Krug. If you're, if you're playing mono brown like you're you're playing colorless lists this is probably a land you're going to end up including in that but on top of that you're seeing this played in decks that care about lands dying uh, which is specifically two creatures that's the gitrog monster and that is titania protector of argoth so there it looks like there's some other stragglers in here just kind of random decks that it, it, for some reason it's in a lot of goto bandit warlord lists i'm do, do you think do you have any insight into like why that might be i'm guessing it's because goto has that one card well goto has that one card combo um but you it costs 11 mana to to do the thing so i'm guessing that like what's happening is people are going to use the land to like cast goto at the end of someone's turn they get the helm of the host, and on, then on their turn they equip and win the game. So I I think that's what's going on. Um, although you know, even in that case, like it's still eight mana to use the emergent zone and then cast Godo. So it's not like I, I mean it. It's it's a little. It comes a little bit earlier, but it's still not awesome. Yeah, I agree. I still don't like this card. <laughs> um. <laughs> I can see why like the the flash effect is something that people are super into but I am still I still don't care. Yeah. You know? uh, I I've never had a good experience with this card. Yeah, I I think maybe we should uh, move this one to the end when we like talk about the cards that everyone else is crazy and you need to be playing this. <laughs> um. <laughs> but I mean we were definitely wrong obviously like uh, I don't know uh, like Maybe people are having good experiences with it. If you have a good experience with Emergence Zone, please let us know. Mm-hmm. But because we were obviously wrong, people are playing it. But um, yeah, I still am kind of pretty low on it. I've never really had a good enough time with it. But uh, unlike the next card, which is um, oh yeah, wild. We were definitely like raw. I, I wholeheartedly uh, apologize for this next one because yeah. we were definitely wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, uh, the next card is Field of the Dead. Uh, It's a land, it enters the battlefield tapped, it taps for a colorless, and whenever Field of the Dead or another land enters the battlefield under your control, if you control seven or more lands with different names, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. Uh, And at the time, I said, I feel like this is a card for mono-brown decks, since monocolor decks are running too many basics to get seven lands with different names, and the heavy multicolor decks that have lots of different lands are going to be unwilling to give up a land slot for something that only produces colorless. 
mono brown decks, which one run almost 100% utility lands and don't care about colored mana, are in the best position to use this. And it's currently in 30,000 decks on EDH rec. Couple things. I, I think that like, I think that I recognized I was wrong not too long after uh, after the the set came out. But getting a uh, Zendikar's Royal on a land is super valuable. Like the the colorless mana produce, production is not that big of a downside compared to the the effect the value of the effect it's giving you. Mm. Um, and le- why don't we look over like the commanders that are making the most use of this card and sort of see what kind of conclusions we draw. Yeah, because I think, I mean, you, you said the first part, like, turns out that having uh, your land drop give you a free 2-2 that no one can really interact with efficiently because it is certainly taboo in commander to affect someone's lands is pretty good and there are some lists that are definitely taking advantage of that and unsurprisingly they are lists that care about land drops mm-hmm. that is lord Windgrace. that is the planeswalker commander two black red green five starting loyalty for a Windgrace planeswalker they have plus two discard a card then draw a card if a land card was discarded this way draw an additional card minus three return up to two target land cards from your graveyard to the battlefield uh, minus 11, destroy up to 6 non-land permanents, then create 6 2-2 green cat warrior creature tokens with forest walk. Um, this deck is typically like a lands list, like Jund lands. Um, and we've talked about it on the show before, like, I don't know what like black is really adding here other than like Gitrog monster, but that's fine. You get Yark the Desecrated. Yark is a 5 mana, 3-5 death touch light blink elemental horror. It costs two black, green, blue, and has if a permanent entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. So it turns out uh, having like this as just one of the cards like lands in your deck uh, isn't that big of a deal. It doesn't really hinder you like too much if your mana base is good. And if your mana base is good, it's probably got a lot of non-basics, a lot of fetches which will start giving you two zombies per fetch like entering and then the card after it entering. So uh, that's a lot of zombies. Omnath Locust of Creation, another multiple color landfall list. This is red, green, white, blue for a 4-4 when it enters the battlefield draw card and then landfall. If it's your first time, you gain four life. If it's your second time, you get red, green, white, blue. If it's your third time, they deal four damage each opponent and each planeswalker you don't control so um a lot of lands <laughs> and uh, i also want to mention golos tireless pilgrim oh, yes. <laughs> uh so I, I mean he's the number one commander of on currently on edh rec i'm sure you all know what he does yeah um but of the 7500 golos decks on edh rec uh 2700 of them are running field of the dead so honestly, just between those four commanders we we just mentioned, Windgrace, Yarok, Omnath, and Golos, that makes up eight thousand of the thirty thousand decks running Field of the Dead. So it's a, definitely a disproportionate number are are of Field of the Dead are going to these landfall lists. And and like you know, as you go sort of further down the chain, that's still true. Like Omnath, Locus of the Royal, and Tatiova Benthic Druid, also significant numbers of those running Field of the Dead. So really, I, I think our, our biggest mistake was just like 
underestimating uh how good it was even in decks with like really onerous mana bases like like you know Windgrace, Yaruk, Omnath, Golos. These are all 3, 4 and 5 mana commanders, but they're all making room for this card. So really like the the colorless restriction not nearly enough to to keep it out of the decks that want it. Well, Field of the Dead. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so this last section, I, I'm not going to have too much to say because uh, I still love these cards. But this is cards that were not adopted. This is Hills I Will Die On. I'm not crazy. Everyone else is crazy. Um, and we only have three cards to talk about today because the episode's going pretty long. But um, do you want to do you want to get into this? Yeah, these are we're going to try to go through these quickly. These are cards that we were pretty high on that didn't end up seeing adoption and that we still think are very good and are, are being underrated. Um, so I'll, I'll start with, I'll start at the top. Cavalier of Dawn is two white, white, white for a four, six creature elemental knight with vigilance. And when it enters the battlefield, destroy up to one target non-land permanent. Its controller creates a three, three colorless golem artifact creature token. And when it dies, return target artifact or enchantment from your graveyard to your hand. It's currently seeing play in 4,500 decks on EDH rec, and I'm still high on it. Mm-hmm. I have it in a ton of lists. This card has like done so much work for me. I have it in lists that flicker things. I have it in like mono white decks. I have it in uh, like three color decks that uh, just need like some good value creatures. As I've evolved decks over time, it just has been something that has done like so much work for me and. The- the body is great. A 4-6 Vigilance for 5 is great. The fact that it blows up a target permanent is great. The fact that it gets you back value when it dies is great. I still am blown away that this card isn't seeing more play. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I would very happily run this in like most mono-white decks. I would also strongly consider running it in most black-white decks. Like If you're running mm-hmm. Animate Dead, Dance of the Dead, Necromancy, it's just so easy to get value off this like you you bring it back with Anna the day animate dead you blow something up and then when the cavalier dies you get back your animate dead and you're back where you started um there's so much you can do with that it's just like annoying to interrupt it constantly vindicates or other beast withins your opponent stuff seems really really strong um and i i don't know why it's not seeing more play yep um similarly uh, another white creature that really it became for a moment the most played creature in modern uh, because it's incredibly good and i have no clue why it has not seen the same adoption in commander because it has just blown me away every time i've ever cast it mm-hmm. but this is skyclave apparition uh you might remember it because we were very high on it yep. in our set review it is a two two core spirit for three mana one white white when it enters the battlefield, exile up to one target non-land, non-token permanent you don't control with converted mana cost four or less. When Skyclave Apparition leaves the battlefield, the exiled card's owner creates an XX blue illusion creature token where X is the CMC of the exiled card. Yeah, what, what did we say about this before? So we said it seemed like a new white staple. I still think that's true. Um, it's automatically one of the best things to slot into Blink Engines, recur with Sun Titan or Revelark, uh, and I just don't care about giving away vanilla creatures. So that's all of that is still true, um, <laughs> but it's only seeing play in 4,500 decks on EDH rec. 
Uh, I just think that like if you have a white deck, doesn't even have to be mono white, just like mm-hmm. white X, I would just happily run this card. I mean, yeah, it's not going to hit someone's Great Henge, but it's going to hit their Beast Whisperer. It's going to hit their uh, Guardian Project. It's going to hit their Soul Ring. Like it just as the format like exerts this downward pressure on converted mana costs and things become more efficient, it's just going to hit more and more of the the most commonly played threats. And of course, it kills like a ton of people's commanders. Like most commanders at this point cost like four mana or less. Mm-hmm. Or at least most that see a lot of play. So I just think this is a fantastic card, and I really think people should be playing it more often. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. It's just I've seen discourse on Twitter about this card, and a lot of people seem to be like, "Well, it doesn't hit like big things," and that's the sticking point for them. Is like, "Oh, I can't answer this big threat," but you you're being so disruptive, and you're exiling so much of the board, like. I've played probably a few dozen games with this card at this point, and I have n- absolutely never been sad to see it. Mm-hmm. Like, I've never been like, oh, man, I really got to blow that thing up and not been able to do it. I have contributed to some of that Twitter discourse. And to those people, I would say, like, like Rex Sage doesn't hit creatures, but it's not a bad card. Like, Ravenous <laughs> Chupacabra doesn't hit artifacts or enchantments, but it's not a bad card. Like just because a card doesn't answer like every conceivable thing doesn't mean it's bad. This is still like a really efficient answer that like slots really well into like all the value engines we typically run in Commander. Um, and I I think it's very good. It's underrated. Yeah, yeah. If you have run Doomblade or like go for the throat in your list, like why not run Skyclave Apparition? It just seems like. <laughs> It seems like a no-brainer to me, but maybe maybe people will catch on. Maybe they'll see the light. Yeah, um, hopefully. M- much like this last card, this is also a three-mana removal spell that I have never been sad to see. Um, and I've played with it a lot. I play a lot of red decks. <laughs> um, this is Soul Seer. This is a three-mana instant, two and a red, and it says Soul Seer, Soul Seer deals five damage to target creature or planeswalker. That permanent loses indestructible until end of turn. It only, I don't know. Do you want to talk about it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'll, this is what we said at the time. It's the first unconditional red burn spell able to deal five damage to a creature for three mana. I would strongly consider playing it in mono red or red green as those identities are starved for good spot removal. And all of that is still true. Uh, I, but it's only seeing play in, and this has got to be like the biggest delta between how high we were on a card and like what the community seems to think of it. Uh, it's seeing play in less than 500 decks on EHREC. So this <laughs> this card is apparently just like a complete unknown to people, but it's good. I stand by what I said at the time. Like, how else are you going to kill a five toughness creature in a red deck? Like, mm-hmm. you're going to aftershock it? You're going to chaos warp it? Yeah, and the indestructible clause has like been good too. There's been multiple times that um we have multiple friends in our play group that play with like brash toner mm-hmm. um and just like having them go haha well you get to take five and being like okay well your thing is dead <laughs> like like that's pretty funny i have killed a god with a soul seer mm-hmm. i was gonna that was my next thing i was gonna <laughs> say too i've definitely killed uh, multiple gods with soul seer i have blown up uh dozens of commanders at this point with this card it just like 
I've played Heroes Downfall for a long time and now Murderous Rider for a long time. So having a three mana kill spell that hits like planeswalkers and creatures is something that like I'm totally down to pay three mana for and it has helped me in my gaming over the last few years. It's just it's like the same card. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like for the most part. Yeah, yeah, it's uh murder. It's not gonna hit an Eldrazi, sure. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I'm not gonna kill that. I'm not gonna kill your seven seven dragon or whatever, but for most of the game, and especially the first few turns of the game, when things are getting, someone might be getting a little too rowdy and getting ahead of everybody. Like having a soul seer kill their like most important permanent or their commander or whatever, like so good. So I, I really, really strongly suggest looking at this card again, uh, giving it a shot. Like I've been playing um, Flame Tongue Kabu again. That was something that was really popular in the format started and kind of fell out of favor. I, I would really recommend playing Flame Tongue Kabu again in the same vein, like Fury, the new elemental incarnation. Mm-hmm. And s- similarly, Soul Seer, like this card is so good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so good. That's yeah, it. I totally agree. Um, all right. Well, that is the end of our episode. I want to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Rick, Raphael, Laser, Charlotte, Hannah, Andy, Dylan, James, Logan, Roger, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jamie, Matthew, Jason, Kyle, Brandon, Kevin, Kaidel, Jeremy, Russell, Dylan, Leo, John, John, Tom, Micah, Troy, Roxanne, Charles, Daniel, Ellie, Leon, and Jason. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at commander theory on Twitter and Tumblr. And Zach is at fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check them out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board.